is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. Hello, and welcome back to part two of an episode of Chaos Cast, the Chaos Community Podcast. On this panel, we have our amazing returning guests today. If y'all want to introduce yourselves, I'm going to start with Georg. Hi, everyone. Georg here. Super excited for this round two with Hayden from Common Room to talk about our metrics today. For those who may be listening for the first time, I'm one of the co-founders of the Chaos Project, the Chaos Board member, and I've worked with Biturgia providing metrics to anyone in the community who needs it. Wonderful. And I'll introduce myself. I am currently your host for this episode. My name is Venia. I work for sociallyconstructed.online in order to build communities that will generate a better virtual world. And Sophia Vargas. Hello, my name is Sophia. I'm a program manager within Google's open source programs office. I support a lot of our project measurement and metrics exercises internally. And I also work externally with the chaos community on some similar but aggregated problems working particularly with the risk working group and a lot of metrics conversations in many spaces, including here today. So I'm excited to keep going and learn more from our guest. Hi, everyone. My name is Hadan Zhang, and I'm the director of product management at Common Room, where I work with a lot of amazing organizations to help them understand within their community what is the health of their community metrics wise, as well as business outcome wise, as well as work on a lot of the layer intelligence layers within Common Room. Wonderful. And Hadan, we are so happy to have you back. Dear listener, that back does mean that this is indeed a part two to the conversation. So in this episode, we're going to be focusing a lot on the nitty gritty. Developers, you're probably going to be super happy about this fact. But if you are interested in Common Room and you want to learn more, or you're not really too sure if you have enough context, we do invite you to hop into the other episode where we spoke with Hidan about the development of Common Room, the history, Hidan's personal journey in community, and what Common Room's real philosophies around community health have been. Today, we get to dive into the weeds and super excited. Awesome. Me as well. Thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely. So I would like to kind of go off to the races. We're talking about Common Room, the platform and how it's developed and implemented. So even though it's a part two, can you just give us a very brief description of what Common Room, the platform actually does? Yeah, absolutely. So Common Room is an intelligent community growth platform. So what that means is we give companies a complete view of who is in their community, what are the conversations taking place in a community, and we apply an intelligence layer so that you get a unified profile of all the individuals within your community. You understand what matters the most to your users within your community topics-wise, as well as just general metrics around overall community health. And we also give you tools to be able to take action on it. So that's a little bit about Common Room. One of the things we talked about in the last episode was you mentioned 
different areas that you are looking at the health of community. And one of them was around engagement and metrics around engagement. What kind of things have you found valuable for your customers to look at? So when we think about engagement, it is like really just a bundle of metrics. When we think about engagement, of course, membership as a starting point is important. Where is someone a part of a community source or not? How many community sources are they a part of? Essentially, the more involved they are, the better. But then over time, there are, of course, ebbs and flows in terms of how involved someone is. So presumably at the heart of all of this, actually taking a step back, it's about the value that the community is providing for someone. So someone is going to continue to be a member in the community. Someone is going to continue to engage and participate in the community in different ways, shapes, or forms if they're continuing to find some level of value from there. With that, thinking through just brass tacks, sets of metrics that we like to look at for customers. Of course, we talked about membership. We talked about active membership. So what does that look like in terms of on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, how many members are engaging within your community across perhaps each of your different sources? And looking a little bit further, what is perhaps some of the conversation that is happening between members? The initial bucket of, I would say, engagement metrics is simply just at the surface level. Hey, like, are people engaging? How many channels are they engaging with? What we've heard from customers is it can be a little bit overwhelming, honestly, to be able to measure engagement across channels. Historically, we try to surface a lot of these metrics by channel, by different types of activities. But what we've heard from our customers is actually a single metric to simply give me an indicator based on the activities that are the most impactful within my community. That single metric would help me move the needle, help me prioritize the most effectively across members who are driving a lot of impact, highly engaged within my community versus ones that I might need to nurture a little bit more. Hence, that was the origination of Common Room's impact points metric, which gives you that single view of, hey, like within my community, like this is a view of all of my different members, how engaged slash active slash impactful they are. And so what there is, of course, like what can I do as a community leader to continue to foster that level of continued engagement? And then cycling, I guess, from this idea of engagement and membership, et cetera, like it does tie... I do want to tie it back to the business value concept of, okay, so we know through engagement metrics on an ongoing basis that people are continuing to get value out of the community. You know, say the membership grows or perhaps people continue to be engaged, but like, why would people continue to be engaged? Why would they want to continue to be involved within the community? That's where I think there is a big component around conversation level metrics. At Common Room, we do want to give people insights into like how healthy are the conversations taking place within the community. So what is the sentiment associated with perhaps some of the conversations going on? So first and foremost, getting a baseline level of understanding around, hey, where is my community at when it comes to sentiment? And so is my community like a really happy community in terms of all the different sources and they're very supportive of each other? And if so, maybe I should continue to do what I'm doing. But let's say I am sensing some negativity from the community or perhaps like people are pretty neutral. Is that perhaps the direction I'm okay with? Is that perhaps like, is there something I can do as a community leader to 
reshape some of those conversations. So sentiment at a high level. Over time, we've also looked into the idea of not just sentiment, but what specifically are people talking about? Once again, tying it back to this idea of what brings value to people within the context of community. And it's like sentiment is an indicator for how people are feeling in response to the types of value that they're getting or maybe not getting. But then topics as well, and topics within Common Room, as well as what we call categories, helps. This is what we essentially use natural language processing for, where topics and sentiment helps give me a sense of what are the types of conversations that are happening within my community? What matters most to people when they have conversations? Taking a good example here where let's say I see a bunch of people talking about my reset release and it's with perhaps not so positive sentiment. That could be an area that I look into a little bit more and notice perhaps like reports of product bugs, product complaints and take very quick action to rectify. Let me take a quick pause here. Does that make sense slash any questions? Yeah, I mean, there was just there was so much to like pull into that, which I think is incredible. But there's been this one overarching zeitgeist conversation that's been happening in the community. And I kind of want to approach you with it. So there's been this discussion of there's the structured community, which has specific boundaries. And it's you owning the space, you owning the conversation that a community is happening. And Common Room's philosophy is saying... Well, that's not necessarily the case because people are using on average five to seven different platforms to engage in what a single organization might consider community. So we have to go out to all of these different areas. We call them grapevine or unstructured community spaces where conversation is just happening. And there's this aspect of, yes, we need to pull that all together and we need to make sure that the sentiment across all of these different areas is measured, like you said, There's this focus on the level of engagement. However, this introduces a second problem in that the level, type, and topic of conversation is going to be different depending upon the medium that that conversation occurs through. People don't talk the same way they do on Twitter as they do on Discord. People tend to be more sarcastic on Reddit or more literal and task-oriented on GitHub. How do you, when you combine these different sentiments and these different origins into a single metric system that's supposed to look at the entire community, how do you tackle these different sentiment developments in the actual metrics path and data flow for your system? Yeah, that's a, I'm really glad you asked that question, Benia, because we see, okay, so I think what tying back to my point earlier about baselines, it is really so dependent on whatever sources you're bringing in. When it comes to establishing that baseline, it is going to look a little bit different from ever, from community to community. So it helps to be able to establish that baseline for yourself over the matter of several weeks or so usually less than that. But that said, we also highly, highly encourage users to look at individual sources because to your point, Stack Overflow is usually very neutral or negative. That's okay. That's kind of, it comes with the territory, but you know, within like what we support within Common Room is that holistic view of thinking maybe doomsday scenario of you have a major outage. Chances are people are going to be talking about it on Twitter. People are going to be talking about it on your Discord channel. People are going to be talking about it on your Stack Overflow. And it's all presumably not going to be super positive. But after you get that initial high level view, and I'm sure there's probably some spike, if you will, relative to your normal benchmark, 
what we encourage you to do is to be able to dig in because the audience is so different. The audience as well as the types of conversation are so different based on the engagement channels that you use. And we often actually see that even within a community team, like different individuals assigned to different sources, we do encourage and recommend that you go into different sources to look for different conversation topics and use that in conjunction with the sentiment and measure against, I would say, the baseline of sentiment for that given source. I love it. It's like singing to my heartstrings. And it kind of goes back to a topic that Sophia was talking about earlier. So a lot of your customers, I'm assuming, are more product and business oriented. And in our context, we also work with a lot of open source communities. And I'm now curious how this conversation of baselines and groupings of various different types of interactions are at play in purely open source spaces versus more company or product oriented. And maybe there isn't a nuance, but I'm curious to know if there are different ways that you address the same kind of questions in terms of guiding your customers and understanding the nuances between platform sources and sentiments? Yeah, that's a really good question, Sophia. When it comes to open source, it is, it's funny because in the last episode, we were talking a little bit about how the sources matter across, say, DevRel communities compared, yeah, more developer-focused communities versus more PLG SaaS, like business-oriented communities. And I think that very much ties into what we're talking about here, where with open source, we see... Yes, some focus on sentiment, especially perhaps for open source companies that are bringing in Twitter information. But then we see even more of a focus, I would say, on the topics where a good example is one of our open source companies had released another version. And it's funny because we were in the process of introducing this topics feature while we were engaging with them and we ran topics for them and we said, hey, this top five topic is this thing. Does it look familiar? And they said, oh, yeah, we just released a new version. It's great that people are talking about it. I want to dig into perhaps what people are saying with regards to it. And so then they dove into categories within Common Room. So they were then diving into, hey, when people were talking about X product version, were they expressing product appreciation? Were they perhaps asking for help in terms of a product question? Were they complaining? Unfortunately, hopefully they were not complaining, but essentially making it a lot more actionable. So what we see with OSS communities is essentially a greater focus on almost like those support use cases of, yeah, sure, sentiment is important, but I want to dig into the nitty gritty of what are people talking about and what kind of intent are they expressing so that I can take very quick action, either internally or accidentally on test mission. One quick follow-up to that is recognizing, I think, again, in the more company-oriented views, we're really focusing on the user community where in open source spaces, it's a blend of the contributor and user communities. And I'm curious how Common Room sort of addresses the nuance between these personas that while they might have some overlap, tend to have different orientations. So... We've seen a mix, honestly, and I like that you brought up this idea of overlap because I think that is a little bit at the heart of how different companies approach it. So we've seen practitioners kind of go both directions. So in some cases where there is a good amount of healthy overlap between the two, we've seen them just kind of combine all of it into a unified view within a community. So I think in one particular case, there was a Slack channel used maybe for business users and then a Discord community for more of the developer users, showing it in a single place, but being able to have the different teams tag team, if you will, so that they can see each other's stuff, but for context, but then also focus on their own particular views. 
thinking about cases when there is like not a ton of overlap. So especially for some of these larger companies where their contributors are completely siloed from perhaps the day-to-day users. In those cases, what we have seen is those teams will want to have their own, what we call different rooms at Common Room. So there might be a developer instance led by the developer team managed in one way and a different instance, a different common room managed by the more business user set of folks from marketing often. That makes sense. And honestly, kind of bouncing off of that, as I hear this, the marketer in me, it's just ringing bells with me where if you have a company that has multiple websites that are geared toward different avatars, the big question is, do you want to put a tag manager implementation or a cookie system or a Facebook pixel for that matter onto both websites that is shared between the two? So you have one container worth of data or do you want to separate it? And it kind of sounds to me like Common Room is experiencing the same thing between a developer versus a user community in an open source context. Is that kind of how you're thinking about it, do you think? Or do you think that there's some explicit differences between how Common Room would tackle two completely different community avatars? Yeah, Venia, you're hitting on a really great question. And I think, yeah, to answer your question, there are a lot of similarities always when it comes to trying to figure out, hey, when does it make sense to completely separate into, say, another instance software-wise versus sharing the same one? I think over time, like it's such a, even just, yeah, in my past roles, I've seen like companies do it both ways. And it really does come down to how the individual organization is shaped like, and that drives essentially how their software is shaped. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the sustained community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainoss on Twitter. Just a question that I had. Something that, Hedan, you said earlier about the value of community. This is something we've been discussing in the Chaos Value Working Group is that there's different types of value and different ways that we can try to get at that from metrics perspectives. One is the value that the members get from being part of the community. Another value is that the community has in creating whatever they're creating. Value, I think you were starting to talk about that, is assessing the value that individual members have in keeping the community together and moving forward. So I was just thinking about, okay, what are some specific metrics to understand these different pieces that you have seen being used? Yeah, that's a great question in terms of the different levels of value. And it does tie a little bit back into the metrics that we were talking about of, I think a lot of community managers, especially in this day and age with the economy, they're often under fire around. They know that they're adding value to the individual members within their community, which is 
awesome. But the tie to overall business value, I think that's like the kind of sometimes the tension that is felt between them and their stakeholders sometimes. So at the core of it, I still fundamentally think that it ties back to the types of conversations that are taking place within the community. So once again, like relying on sentiment topics, categories, like in the context of common room, but like fundamentally, it's about those conversational metrics, which are a barometer for essentially day to day how people are responding to the conversations in your community, what value they're getting out of the conversations. Ideally, not as much negative sentiment with regards to how people are responding to things in your community. But then that is, if anything, the leading indicator for showing like or impacting member growth. So presumably your membership, your engagement, the metrics should look better and better if you're having the right conversations within your community that's fostering the core value that you're providing to your users. And then ultimately from there, that's hopefully where you can tie it then more to business value. So then within the types of conversations, what we try to do is help tie it to a couple of things. So product growth. So within those types of conversations, let's say you're identifying those product complaints or product improvement, feature enhancement opportunities. Those are ways to foster product growth. There are also, I would say, offline studies that we've done for some customers where we've seen a two to three X actually correlation when it comes to people being engaged in the community, people being part of an advocacy program and the tie in to the usage of the product and ultimately even revenue. That definitely sounds totally viable because community interaction on a higher regard is almost directly correlated with community interaction at a high distance for lower, less difficult things to do. So if you ask one person to do one difficult thing, then the likelihood that they will continue to do less difficult things for a longer period of time increases. Is that kind of similar to how you're generating that 3x engagement factor then? Yeah, absolutely. And I should say that these are based on some studies that we've done with some of our existing customers. But to your point, something that we're increasingly doing is bringing more and more of the data from folks' data warehouses into common rooms so that the community manager, it's like a lot of times you talk to community leaders and they don't even have access to, say, Salesforce or something or another system like that. But if we are bringing information for them to display for them within common room alongside some of their standard community metrics, that's when things can start getting really powerful for them. And they can essentially both understand the impact of what they're doing from a metrics perspective of, hey, it looks like people who are in my champions program are two to three X more engaged within our product, creating more output product wise, but then also paying more revenue wise. But then you can flip it around and have that influence their actions. So thinking about community event programming, looking perhaps like tailoring certain events to power users. When you know how much a member is using your product, you can say tailor an event for power users compared to perhaps an event for folks who are just dipping their toes in and they want to know perhaps a few cool tips from you. So I have a question and it's going to be coming back a bit to the open source and contributor persona. So I think that's I have a theme for my line of questioning today. That's going to be it. One of the hard problems that we've seen is 
well, there's many problems, but it's trying to actively predict things like burnout and lack or declining engagement for reasons that could be burnout versus just you're ready to leave a community and do something else. And I keep thinking about all of the descriptions that you're sharing around common room's ability to do sentiment analysis and conversational topic oriented analysis, where I'm wondering if in this case, or have you applied common road to a case of an open source maintainer community where you've been able to identify whether or not folks are at risk of burnout? So I think this is something that's been difficult to do. And often we rely on things like surveys or just people on the ground, knowing people and knowing how they're feeling with having to ask and it ends up being very personal. So if there were some sort of tool where we could proactively see where that's that risk is starting to emerge, and community leaders can be more proactive. And I'm curious, has that case come up for common room customers? And if so, what have you learned from that experience? Good question. So within common room, we do surface sentiment at a member level and you're able to filter it, say, like over time. And so you're able to detect someone's individual sentiment, perhaps like in the past 28 days versus the last seven days versus perhaps the past year. So there is that level of visibility in terms of using sentiment. But then one, I guess a couple comments on that. So in terms of working with a lot of open source uh, community leaders, what we've heard is just like one recurring theme is just around this idea of everybody kind of wants to contribute in the way that they're used to. It's funny, when I first joined Common Room, one of the first projects that I worked on was this idea of impact points with the goal of building champion and advocacy programs. And what I heard over and over again was not everybody wants to be part of a champion or an advocacy program, but that doesn't mean that with an open source, we should just say shunt those people off to the side. But as an open source community leader, it's about finding kind of the right ways to engage those people. So you have a lot of people who maybe they're not burnt out, but they come back and kind of do a bunch of things for, say, a month or two, and then they leave for a while and then they come back again. That is okay, But then as like a community leader, it's important to just stay on top of that from an engagement perspective. So one of the things that we like to focus on is this idea of recently inactive. So if someone is recently inactive as a community leader, reaching out to them and perhaps getting context as to why. And so that contributor still feels like they're being supported, but they don't feel like the level of pressure of, oh my gosh, like I'm part of this champion program, but I'm not maintaining my contributions, but then et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? It does. And I think your comment are really focusing on the individuals is what's ringing true to me and recognizing their nuances for interest, participation and incentive. And just sort of having, I like that you have the ability to sort of look more granularly at the individual in the aggregate context. And I just, I feel like that recognition is so important for community leaders to recognize just how people want to contribute in the way that works for them and to respect those boundaries and to not try to influence them in ways that could cause them to want to leave. Absolutely. Can I add actually one more example? One of the case studies we heard about was this open source community leader was telling us about looking for speakers for their annual conference. And they were very much in the camp of, I really need to figure out what gets different types of people excited. So within my advocacy program, I have people who are incredible engineers and they've had so many contributions in the context of my project. 
but they're not really extroverts. So they're not big on speaking at events. And that's okay because as a leader, it's about like recognizing those people in ways that resonate with them. And it does not include, for example, adding them to events. But then there's the other side of perhaps identifying those people who are contributors, who actually love being speakers. So starting with Hey, like getting that person to speak at, say, like a small webinar to test the waters and essentially training them up and building them up to become that person at an annual conference speaking. So, yeah, another example for folks who might be like in that dilemma or situation. Incredible. Just such good consideration for where the data is coming from, what people actually want you to listen to, how they actually want to be interacted with and how the community does want to be measured. I feel like there's just so much attention being placed toward the ethics of this data use, exactly what metrics and mechanics are actually being used in order to measure. But I kind of want to flip that script a little bit because it's not just necessarily about respecting the people's ability to pull that information and making sense of the data that we can collect. It's also about moving the key stakeholders of the community toward that notion of collecting it using user experience design, training methodology, how you build your dashboards in your website, how you allow people to interface with the data. I feel like a lot of that really is difficult hat trick based upon how you're actually building your software. So I was wondering if we could focus a little bit on the data visualization part then and ask how your user experience makes decisions about the metrics and the way that you visualize this data in your platform. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that you're touching on this point, Venya, because there's just so much data. I think that's undeniable in terms of what we can report on so, so many different things and we can show a million things within our platform. But also, if you show everything, are you really just showing nothing? We have a pretty decent cross-functional team that specializes in data visualization, both ranging from the design team, of course, UX and design team, all the way to a data visualization team where, you know, these individuals, they've um, focused on data visualization their whole career and are deep experts in the space to, of course, on the product side, we're folks who talk to users quite often and want to incorporate at least the user questions that matter most to our, our end users. And then, of course, on the engineering side, like on both the front end and back end, folks who have deep reporting capabilities and experience and are able to provide a strong perspective across the board in terms of keeping things simple. So one of the other values at Common Room is this concept of striving for simplicity. We are big believers in showing you kind of that 80% view first and foremost within the platform of the things that most people would care about the most. When we think about the common room homepage, as well as the even just the main community health at a glance page within reporting, those views show you essentially like the 80% distilled into a single view for reference, which the majority of our users, they often will spend a lot of time on those pages. However, what we put also kind of, we layer say behind filters and other more advanced capabilities is really powerful reporting on additional metrics. And so we do believe in giving you that 80% view that will resonate with most people, but then we allow for power users or users who perhaps are feeling really curious one day and we want to give them the tools to really grok the data because it is their data. 
Does that answer your question, Benia? Yeah, it definitely does. But I do kind of want to narrow in a little bit because one of the things that you mentioned was like 80% of this is going on a single field. And the way that I tend to think of this, the way that I tend to discuss building dashboards versus reports is that a dashboard is like your car. When you're driving on the road at the moment, you want to be bothered by a chief few metrics, namely your speed, whether you have gas, whether or not your engine is overheating. There's just a very, very simple dashboard. And then once things break down, once something is wrong, that's when you pull over to the side of the road and you open your hood and you look at the engine and it's smoking and you have a checklist. All right, first check the oil, then check the gas, then check the belt, then check all of these things in the engine. So that tends to be how I go with this. And the way that I tend to move people for this in the process is using a QAI process done by Chris Mercer. His name's Mercer. And that is ask a question, know what kind of answers you expect and what kind of actions you plan to take depending upon which way that answer goes. And then at the end of all of that, that's when you look at the data which presents a problem for you because it's not your job to come up with those questions. It's not your job to look at what those answers might look like. It's your job to provide the toolkit to answer those questions. And yet you're on a single frame with 80% of the data and 80% of the information on that page. How do you make the users who are interacting and visualizing the data go through a process similar to that instead of just kind of saying, here's the data, don't know what to do with it? In terms of how we try to explain this to our users, so it is a combination of enablement materials, documentation, as well as folks on our side collaborating closely with our users as well as our customers. To your point, it's funny because internally thinking about your QAI approach to things really resonates. Every single, whenever we design anything, whenever we think about adding any component to our reporting platform, it always starts with the question that we've heard from our users as far as what they're curious about. And then it's almost like layers of questions, if you will. There's always that initial question that spurs like additional layers of questions. So take, for example, our topics reporting page. The first question that people want answered when they land on that page is, what all is my community talking about? Perhaps the second question is, how are they feeling? But then from there, when it comes to going through that checklist or grokking the information, then it's like, oh, well, what are people talking about within my Slack channel recently? How about Stack Overflow? What are my power users talking about? So folks within my advocacy program, perhaps different things matter to them compared to others within my community and tying in even product usage data among perhaps the new users of my product. What are the things that matter to them? So essentially, we think of it as not just questions, but also layers of questions. And then from there, what are the actions to be taken, content to be generated, perhaps documentation updates, perhaps it's just individual follow-ups with people. And then information piece is almost like an, I don't want to say an afterthought because it's so critical, but then we do try to start with the question when it comes to designing our system. And I really love the framework that you laid out. Absolutely. Thanks for kind of giving me so much detail and explanation, quote unquote, underneath the hood for a common room. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, Sophia. I have another open source application question. So in the case, another challenge that many communities have have been trying to actually count the number of users when you're talking about a code base that you can just go out and download and 
hear downloads don't actually represent use because one company could download it once or one developer could download it 10 times in the course of their CI CD pipeline. So there hasn't really been a great way to measure it. And I've seen some communities look at aggregating membership statistics across a whole number of different tools and channels, which is essentially what your what Common Room is really focused on. And so I was curious if you thought that looking at sort of these membership statistics around various different platforms could be an effective way to gauge a open source project's usage. And then knowing that, do you think it's enough or what do you think is missing to make a better assessment of the overall user community size? That is definitely a challenge when it comes to more of these open source um, communities. Yeah, you're right. The aggregation of membership stats, it's a bit of an indicator, I would say, for usage, but it's not a perfect metric. So when it comes to working with especially some of these open source companies that have monetized, we do really encourage them to pull in like the actual product usage metrics where applicable. But then on top of that, if I guess that information is not available, then I think we would probably look to investigate perhaps at the conversation level what people are talking about. So what kind of questions are people asking about in the context of the community? And that is often an indicator for the level of, I guess, usage, which again, not a perfect metric, but kind of two indicators for the true level of usage, if you will, within the community for the open source tool. Appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Honestly, amazing questions, amazing experiences. We're on our second hour with Common Room. And honestly, we could just go on all day if we're honest. Highly recommend it. But unfortunately, we do need to close out. So I do want to say thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you so much for having me. And if, dear listener, you are interested in learning a little bit more about Common Room, hop down into the show notes here in the podcast where one, you'll be able to see part one of this episode. And two, you'll be able to see a few of those case studies that Yudan had mentioned throughout the course of this podcast. That being said, if you do have any other questions or anything like that, feel free to reach out. That will also be in the show notes. Where can our audience reach you, Hidan? Yeah, so your audience can reach me at Hedankers, H-E-D-A-N-K-E-R-S on Twitter, or even better, I am an active participant in Common Room's Uncommon community. Feel free to check it out. Link is available on Common Room's website and lots of great conversations around community there, as well as lots of specific conversations around metrics. Wonderful. Thank you. And we're not going to let you go just yet. We do have one thing that we like to do. You should already be familiar with this. I would love it if you could tell us what's going on in your local life. What do you think is particularly helpful or fun to look at? It can really be anything, just a nice little value add to end the conversation. I love it. So it is gearing up to be fantasy football season at the moment. So actually at Common Room, we just did our very own fantasy football draft and it was a great way to bond with teammates and joke around a lot and build our internal community even more. So really enjoying that experience. I think I have another fantasy football draft later this week, but overall, I'm very excited for football season to commence and fantasy football season to commence in terms of building up a lot of the communities and the relationships that I have. That's my value add. I'll jump in next. I love 
finding ways to constructively use in between time and work where you don't have enough space to really get something done. Maybe you try to cram in an email, but it's just not enough time. And I really, over the last couple of years, really embraced allowing myself to not work in those two to five minutes that you have a gap where you either go walk around or my favorite thing to do is actually a small puzzle. So I have a Rubik's Cube on my desk. And if I get remember all of my algorithms perfectly, I can solve it in just under five minutes. So I put on a song, I solve a puzzle, and then it gives me a nice reset before my next meeting. <laughs> So I feel like it's an, always an important message to remember to breathe and take breaks, especially if you context switch a lot in your job. And I would recommend puzzles if you're into that. Wonderful. I love puzzles. I got to say, I've broken a good fair share of my own Rubik's puzzles. Yeah, they're just so great day to day. Like you need something to play with, with your hands. It's so perfect. And I don't know if y'all have done the four by fours and five by fives. Those are so hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. For my value add, I kind of want to mention something that happened very recently. Dear listener, it will be in the show notes. So this is a very good way to find it. But Richard Millington over at Feverbee, one of our friends who does primarily metrics, analytics and development for online communities. He did this webinar that had the most clickbait, I'm scared about what he's going to deliver title of the new gold standard for measuring online community health. And you can imagine here at Chaos, we looked at that and we're like, we got to be there. And it was incredible. No clickbait at all. It absolutely delivered on the gold standard for community health. And I just got to say, give it a listen. Give the podcast a listen. For Socially Constructed, we're actually planning on breaking it down. Hopefully Chaos will do that as well. We'll just have some links in there for this incredibly amazing new paradigm shift in measuring community in general. Just really, really great. And with that, I'm going to stop gushing about Richard Millington and Common Room and Hedon. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for joining us today. We do hope that you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, this is your chaos community. 